Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be hearing from Doug Hirschberger, who is a strength and conditioning coach in Sarasota, Florida. He focuses on using evidence-based practices because he thinks that your health is something that you don't want to get wrong. As a fair warning, get used to hearing the term evidence-based a whole lot this week. On Friday, Creed Hendrickson, Maria Hardeman, and Austin Broom are going to be joining me in the studio to discuss this interview, but I want to go ahead and get right into it. Doug Hirschberger is the founder of Hirschberger Health and Performance in Sarasota, Florida, where his mission is to spread evidence-based knowledge and improve the lives of others. In his late teen years, Doug lost nearly 100 pounds after dealing with obesity as a child. He discovered that health and fitness were not only a matter of the physical, but also the mental, emotional, social, and even the spiritual sides of life. Doug now holds a master's degree in kinesiology and has certifications in weightlifting, strength and conditioning, and nutrition. His evidence-based understanding of physical health and athletic performance stems from the belief that no person deserves to be deceived, especially when it comes to how to treat their own body. Here is Doug. Doug, welcome to the show today. Hey, Josh. It's good to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you started Hirschberger Health and Performance in 2018. What was it that gave you the motivation to start up your own training and fitness business? Yeah, so I think you mentioned in the bio a little bit about my experience with my own fitness, my own health. Uh, when I was growing up, I played sports, but was always overweight. And back then, I blamed it on the genetics of my parents and short stature, but uh, that may have had something to do with it. A lot of it was general laziness about my part, apathetic. Uh, approach to life. And, and, you know, frankly, I wasn't super into sports. And so I wasn't always active when I should have been. Um, of course, love food and, and most people do, but the general posture of my life wasn't oriented towards being in shape. Sure. So grew up uh, obese. Uh, and then about middle of high school, questions about my future started coming up. Inevitably, you know, you're, you're fixing to graduate and everybody's asking what you're going to do. And I had no real answer. Frankly, I was I didn't really care, if I'm going to be honest with you. And so for me, that apathy and the, the self-realization of like, oh, wait, I'm going to graduate and I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't want to turn out like, uh, uh, you know, the people that people describe to me. And I didn't want to be I didn't want to be normal either. I don't want to, you know, go off, have a job and, and work the rest of my life and do something that I didn't love doing. I wanted to find out what my passion was. And so. That kind of stimulated uh, a little or inspired a little bit of, of a desire for something more in me. I didn't quite know where it was, but I, I kind of suspected that it would start with getting in shape, uh, my physical life. And so that and a few other changes in my life, I quit playing sports. I, I quit playing baseball in particular. Uh, that summer, I took up a couple jobs that were, were not what I was used to do uh, doing, which was painting with my dad. Worked at Target for a little bit and then started working in a nutraceutical company. 
So the question of supplements came up in my in my mind or on the forefront of my view. And then I started also working with a guy mowing lawns. Now, all that combined kind of uh, created in me this like, oh, wait a second. I, and now I have something to do that I can, one, burn calories, and two, start thinking about my nutrition. And uh, started experimenting, started to uh, do research. The internet, of course, was at my, my fingertips. So I just started asking lots of questions and uh, started doing something that I thought might work. And that was getting up early in the morning, going for a run, walk, or bike, going to the gym and lifting a little bit. And then uh, toying around with my nutrition. Uh, Naturally, I stopped eating as much. And I actually saw results, which for the first time in my life, I actually had control over something uh, or influence over something that I could affect change in. And so that kind of started it. And uh, the the short part of it is now I have a master's degree in exercise physiology, uh, graduate with honors. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, have a a company where I'm trying to help others do the same. Now, you mentioned that one of the things that encouraged you was that you, you saw that you had the ability in your life to affect change in some area. The truth is, we have the ability to, to bring about change in all sorts of areas of our lives, but sometimes it's hard for us to realize that or to see it. So what was it about health and fitness that helped you to actually realize that maybe for the first time? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> way back when I was 12, that was like the magic age. I was allowed to go work out with my dad at mm. the YMCA. Uh, or back then it was it was a Jewish community center at the time. Okay. And so I went there, <clears throat> and the attendant, of course, wasn't allowed to let me work out on the free weights, but they had their little spiel they took me through on the circuit train uh machines yeah and so he took me through and uh, you know i I back up a little bit i remember walking out the door and saying to my mom well mom here i go to get in shape like literally those are the words that came out of my mouth (laughs) i know exactly the the look on my face i know the look on my dad my mom's face the place i was at the, the the house that we used to live in all that and uh in my mind i had this like this hope Sure. This element of hope uh, that, you know, something was going to change. I, I, for the first time in my life, was going to do something on my own that was going to affect change. And, you know, fast forward, it didn't happen for another four years. The whole lifting weights thing kind of was off and on and irregular. But that was the launch point, I think, where I, I made the connection between my own actions and the repercussions of my actions for the good. If you knew me at all growing up, I did a lot of stuff that had consequences, but they weren't positive. <laughs> So you place a heavy emphasis on the evidence-based aspect of your work. Why is that something that's so important to what you do? Yeah, I think it, I think it starts with my own journey. I, in my process of learning and, and doing a lot of research before I had a formal education, I made a lot of mistakes. And those mistakes weren't necessarily volitionally. They were because I took another person's advice online or, or in person. That wasn't necessarily true. Uh, it may have been true for them, and it could have been true based on their experiences, but it wasn't factual. It wasn't what we what we call evidence-based. So evidence-based practice, uh, It's if you go back to where it started back in the 90s, it originated in the medical field. And they their theory or their idea was evidence-based practice is a three, three-legged stool. The first leg or the pin is science. It's, it's the body of evidence as developed by peer-reviewed literature using scientific method. So that's the first leg. The second would be the expertise of the practitioner. The time they've put in, the clients they've worked with, the knowledge they've gained, the experience they have based on the, the actual situations that they've they've worked with. Uh, and the third leg would be the actual client or the person's views, values, experiences. Um, when you put all three of those legs together, you have evidence-based practice. Whenever you have one side that's more heavy or one side that's missing, then you have non-evidence-based practice. We can get into that later. But 
the reason I put so much emphasis on that is because I see a lot of misinformation. I see a lot of one or two legged stools. And uh, usually the, the, the leg that's missing is the, the actual science, the, the research, the body of the research, not necessarily one study, but the body, the, the, the aggregate amount of research or lack thereof in some cases where there's not much done. And having a master's degree, going through a formal education, working hard on that, I take pride in the field. Absolutely. And when I see someone who maybe hasn't been through that, I, I kind of find that, well, I identify that, that missing point. And then for me, it's hard because I, you know, I, marketing comes into play and all of a sudden now you have a following of uh, people behind somebody who, who isn't practicing evidence-based uh, work. Yeah. And why do you think it's so easy for people that don't have evidence-based backing to promote their businesses and to grow their businesses if evidence-based training is that important. Yeah, so the approach, you know, let's take, it, take the uh, the analogy of, of the medical field. Um, historically, we have a lot of practitioners pre-modern era who are quote-unquote medical practitioners or uh, even doctors who weren't using an ev- evidence-based model and were doing harm, more harm than good. But the, 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 the following... Uh, that they gathered was because they were using, um, well, it could be a fallacious argument. And frankly, we as humans are attracted to the shiny new things. And so as long as it's new, as long as it has perhaps a, a fallacious argument, it's going to gather more of a following in the in the immediate time. Doug, I want, I want to hop back from this for a second just because I don't want listeners to miss the importance of what we're talking about here. I want you to still, still speak from your experience, but the truth is leaders often are viewed as people who have some expertise or some information that others don't have. My question to you is, based on your experience, how should leaders who have this information handle this responsibly? Yeah, so that this is actually something I've been learning a lot recently. And one is the benefit of omitting certain information, especially if you're a coach, trainer, uh, or even a medical professional. Um, let's take the example of, let's say uh, you have somebody who, or a doctor who you're seeing, an oncologist who you're seeing about cancer. You have cancer and you're going for treatment. And that the, the certain oncologist observes a negative aspect to your diagnosis but knows that your knowledge of it could actually negate a concept of what we call the placebo effect in treatment or even the nocebo effect, where if they were to give you the information that you don't know, that they do know, they would, would effectively do harm rather than good because the information is placed at the wrong time period. Same thing with coaching or training. If I have clients, uh, and I do a lot with this with pain, someone who comes to me with back pain, and I know the, the information about how they move, about the mechanics of their pain, maybe even the pathology of their pain, where it's coming from, and I take you through a workout, if I, if I elicit certain information, I may actually create a situation where you feel pain, whereas if I didn't give you that information, you may not have felt pain, and we would actually make progress in eliminating the me- mechanistic nature of your pain. That's kind of complicated, but I think, first of all, a leader should recognize the knowledge they have, identify it if it's actual valuable knowledge, if it's factual, and then ask is this something I should, when should I give this knowledge? When should I deliver it? And then uh, recognize the responsibility they have to deliver it appropriately in, in the uh, expectation that it's going to do good for the people they're helping and leading rather than just, you know, all out, I'm going to give you all the information I have right now. Is there a place 
especially when it comes to health, and I know you focus more on the training side and less maybe on, you know, you mentioned cancer as an example. Is there a time when it becomes unethical to withhold information from people? And and I don't need you to speak for the whole medical industry, maybe for for more uh, just your experience. You know, I think we're in a state right now and in our perception as a general public of the medical field where we think that the, the medical field is withholding certain information. You can kind of observe this in the argument that anti-vaxxers and other people who may have a legitimate argument, maybe not. I'm not saying anything about the legitimacy of the argument, but one of their arguments is the medical field knows things that we don't and they're not giving us that information. I think there's that where we have to be very prudent and saying, wait a second, does someone really know something about us that if they gave it to us, would benefit us and why would they be holding it back? I think that's that's an that's an argument for another day. But to your your question, I do think there's an ethical responsibility, especially on a leader, when they've they've stepped up to the plate and said, I'm gonna lead you or I'm gonna lead this organization. I I'm taking responsibility of the knowledge I have and of you and your best interest. And that comes first before perhaps an outcome or um, something that is not about humans. The person is always first in that respect. So so today, now, you have the training and the certifications. You've, you've had the education and you have a lot of experience. But has there ever been a time where you've led without the education and information? And how, how do you balance that? Because people are still looking at you as an expert, even if you don't have what they think you have. I think the mantra that you might be describing is faking it till you make it. Is, am I right? Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's something to that, but there's also some danger in that, right? Yeah, you know, I, I have done that. I can think off the top of my head a couple instances where I've not quite been there in terms of expertise, but I've behaved in such a way that people might suspect that being so. I think they're, especially early on in someone's career, no matter what it is, whether it's my field or let's say you're in engineering fresh out of college, where the question should be either, is this something I should take the burden on myself to research and find out about, or should I just go ahead and admit that I don't know? That's largely up to the person's discretion. Yeah. Again, going back to, you know, what, what's a priority here? Well, the, in my field, at least, the priority is do no harm. That's the very first rule of everything. And I think maybe the litmus test for that would be, is my faking it here uh, in an effort to make it going to do harm to anybody, even myself, and not just in the moment, but also in the future. If that's not the case, maybe maybe it's okay. Maybe it's actually part of the learning process is making a bunch of mistakes until you, you get there. So there's no no clean cut answer, but I, for sure, I think there, there are times where you need to say, wait a second, I need to set my pride aside and just admit that I'm not sure about this. And I appreciate you bringing up some of these things in your discussion because so, so far on this podcast, we haven't talked much about ethics and how they relate to leadership. I, I want to turn now, though, to another area that you care about, and that's the idea of the value of becoming strong. And you see this as something that's more than just physical. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how physical strength impacts the rest of our life. Yeah, I'm pretty passionate about the physical trait of strength. And so we're talking about specifically being strong as it pertains to moving large large loads with your body, no matter what the uh, movement pattern is. One of the reasons why I promote strength as a priority, and I do this with all my clients, is strength, if you think about it, is a foundation for every single other physical trait, whether we're talking about anaerobic endurance, aerobic endurance, uh, agility, uh, power, and the list goes on. Any sport, if you can get an athlete stronger generally, especially if we're talking about amateurs or novices, if you can get athletes stronger or a human stronger, 
their life is going to be better off. Now, you can also look at the research and say there's there's several old studies and even newer studies coming out that say certain indices or metrics of strength, like grip strength or uh, ability to go from a sitting position to standing position, are directly correlated with mortality rates, longevity, whereas there are no other physical fitness characteristics that directly correlate with mortality and longevity. Uh, that is all-cause mortality. So any, any, no matter what disease or or uh, illness or what age you might be at, if you're stronger than the norm, there's a large chance you're going to live longer. That's not the case with other physical fitness characteristics. You could argue something like cardiovascular health is, but that's not a physical uh, fitness characteristic. That's that's a physical characteristic to health. Aerobic endurance, anaerobic endurance, those aren't correlated with longevity. So what would you say, based on the evidence that you've seen, what would you say are some of the simplest things that people can do whether physically or otherwise, to create a stronger life for themselves? There's a book I read that kind of corresponded to the, the turning point of my own life and my fitness, and it was called Do Hard Things. Uh, it was written, I don't remember their first names, but the Harris brothers, they're, I believe they're brothers with the, the guy, Josh Harris, who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I wouldn't say from a literature perspective it was really well written. <laughs> it was written by some teenagers, but uh, I think it hit me hard and it continues to impact me, and I recommend it to other people, because the principle of it is uh, to do something that's difficult, but that's not stupid. And to me, getting stronger requires that you find something that's difficult and, and train to, to tackle it, to complete it. It doesn't have to be a max effort deadlift or squat, but it certainly has to be something that challenges you and forces your body to grow. Uh, I had this conversation on, I think it was Facebook or something with somebody the other day, that um, you know, there's a difference for difference uh, between performing a challenge and training for a challenge. And almost inevitably, if you have a challenge that you want to take up, whether it's physical, mental, training to get stronger, it's going to help you perform better in that challenge. Something specific to go back to your, your question, something specific that I would suggest is that everybody's got to find a, a physical challenge where they're not strong enough in and start to, to work on training for that. Whether it's uh, some, they're not used to barbell training, if they're if they're interested in doing that, getting stronger in the barbell lifts, whether it's something like push-ups or bodyweight squats or lunges or even you know, getting better at jumping or sprinting or whatever it might be. So what is an example in your life of something that maybe in the last year or months that you've taken up as one of those challenges for yourself? Yeah, this is a really good question for me because it actually, from a from a different vantage point, someone would look at, at my own physical training as a regression. But it's it's really been this discovery, rediscovery of the uh, concept of rest and recovery. Okay, I would say the first five to eight years of my own fitness progression has been trying to to take on challenges that were a little bit too big for me to chew, and then always winding up injured. Uh, and not being consistent with with my own training. And so what I've found recently was simplifying uh, my own training to just working on getting stronger uh, with the barbell lifts and then taking intentional rest and recovery and, and not actually doing anything during that rest and recovery. So a lot of times, you, especially in the the marketed fitness world, you, you hear about foam rollers and stretching and massage therapy and all these things that cost money. And I used to be a huge proponent of a lot of that. Um, but now I'm finding that simplifying my, my training approach and just, just getting away from the gym and actually um, testing myself in life in terms of strength and, and also just um, being able to live, have a good quality of life, is, is it been really the most recent 
challenge that I've taken on in terms of improving myself. Would you say that quality of life is the key purpose behind what you do in your own life and perhaps in your business as well? Yeah, I think that's, and I think my, my objective in that has changed since getting married and having a, a child. Our daughter is six weeks old today. And uh, now, <laughs> if I were to have the same personality as I did when I first started out now, um, it would, some people, you know, you would look at me and say, Doug, I think you need to slow down a little bit. And I think now that I have a family to, to look after, my priorities are much more clear. And so in my own training, my, phys- my, my approach to my physical life, my health comes first, which is why health is really the first characteristic in, in the name of our business, but also in our philosophy. Uh, health comes first and, and then performance second. So am I going to live long? Is my quality of life going to be good? Am I prepared to sacrifice and work hard for my family? and avoid injury or uh, ill health uh, effects. And so if the answer to that is yes, uh, then I can go ahead and pursue performance. If it's no, then I need to back up a little bit and ask some more specific questions. So another area, in addition to being certified in strength training, another area that you're certified in is nutrition. Are there any evidence-based nutritional tips that aren't mainstream maybe that people could begin to put into practice? And also maybe as, as a second part of that question, are there any pieces of mainstream advice that aren't necessarily very evidence-based? I think uh, I think we need to go back to the basics. I think most of us know, but if – and I, I'll, I'll I talk a lot about this too when I do any kind of speaking engagement or if someone asks me is, you know, the basics of a, a healthy diet is just eat whole foods to the point of satiety um, or, or slightly less, fast, infrequently, but sometimes, whether it's for half a day, a day, and drink lots of water. I mean, it's it's really not that complicated. Where it gets complicated, and where we deviate from the the actual evidence in terms of that scientific research is where we start to prescribe diets or promote diets uh, or nutritional approaches that eliminate natural foods, just basic whole foods. If there's a diet or a nutritional approach that requires you to eliminate something, you've got to really ask why. And if it works for you. You've got to dig even more and ask why. And usually it comes down to if you're trying to lose weight and you do, say, the ketogenic diet or a new one on the block is a carnivore diet or a, a vegan diet. Usually the reason you're losing weight is because you created a calorie deficit by eliminating those foods. The biggest problem for especially those of us in the West is we have access to too much food and we've gotten used to eating too much too often. And so we kind of live in this calorie surplus and so when when we want to lose weight we think well i have to obviously eat less food but in reality we we just don't really do very good job of, of calculating it we're just not very good not just as individuals but as a society as even people who who design nutritional labels at estimating energy calories we tend to overestimate and so there's that too uh but just just large scale i would say you know keeping it simple uh and and being honest with yourself in terms of what kind of food you're eating? Are you are you mindfully eating or are you impulsively eating? Uh, and then practicing fasting. I think that's a huge component that that's largely rooted in, in religion and faith, but is, is super helpful in terms of just physical health. So if people have liked what they've heard from you today, they're in luck because from what I understand, you're about to start a new podcast. So I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit about that and share any final thoughts that you have for us today. Yeah, so the Health and Performance Show is on most most podcast players uh, that you can access except for iTunes. They tend to, to last a little bit longer when it comes to accepting podcasts. Uh, our first official episode will be out next week. 
And the objective is to take a, uh, well, I don't want to overuse the term, but take an evidence-based approach to how we talk about not just the physical aspect of health and nutrition, but also the spiritual aspect, the mental, the emotional, the psychosocial. Uh, there's a lot of topics that I've, I find myself bordering on other aspects of life. And so it's inevitable that you cross over into the spiritual component of life, the emotional, the the mental and so on. So that that's kind of gonna, our conversation might be all over the place when we have discussions. The other thing I want to do is I want to showcase people's success stories, uh, transformation stories, or or also just stories of people who have gone through perhaps a physical quote unquote enlightenment, or maybe they've experienced change in in their own physical or in their life because of a physical transformation. Uh, I want to I want to give a stage to that. I don't think there's enough of that where we celebrate it. When we do hear people celebrating it, it's usually because they have a, a, a marketing spiel after that, you know, try my program because I was successful here. But sure. I want to just give a stage to it and celebrate it and, and use it to inspire and motivate people to do the same. The, the other piece of that is I also want to just create a community where our goal is not to make money. It's, it's more or less just to continue to spread uh, quality and helpful knowledge. It's, it's based on, on true evidence and even – even if it's not based on scientific evidence, it's based on anecdotal and empirical evidence where we can start to, to ask questions and not feel like anybody has an agenda. And so what that looks like, I'm not sure, but the podcast is going to be where I, I take on uh, people who have gone through physical transformations, experts, um, even myself, uh, tackle topics that might be hard or not purely physical in nature. Well. I'm excited about the podcast. I will be subscribing, and I hope that other listeners will as well. Now, before we finish, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? I am. I'm prepared. Thank you. All righty. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Uh, the saying that I continue to, to repeat to myself and I use often on social media is it comes from a, a kind of a remote mentor of mine. He may not even know that he's a mentor, but he's really influenced me. His name is Dan John. And it's little often and over the long haul is the key to success. Uh, I think this applies to every single aspect in life. And it's kind of the manifestation of, a, of another book that transformed my life, which was Persuasion by Jane Austen, The Element of Constancy. Uh, so little often and over the long haul. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is self-aware, emotionally agile, and outcome focused. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? Why do I think that? Uh, what can I learn from this experience and how should I respond or should I? What book would you recommend to leaders? Uh, am I allowed to give two? <laughs> you are. <laughs> All right. Daring Greatly by Brene Brown or any book by her for that matter. Daring Greatly has been pivotal for not just myself, but my wife and I's relationship as well. I highly recommend that to anybody. Uh, another author who I, you know, I would just recommend reading any of his work is Cal Newport. It's hard to find him because he's a big promoter of not using social media, but he wrote a book called uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And it, it, the whole idea behind it is just get really good at your, your skill and your trade, and then you'll get noticed. Uh, stop trying to reverse engineer it. Was he the one that wrote Deep Work as well? Correct. Yeah, that's also a great book. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would it be? Yeah, I think this is going to kind of go a little bit against what the topic that, that I bring today. And it's take 10 minutes of each day and do nothing. Breathe deeply and, and just sit or take a walk. And especially in this fast-paced world, uh, we need more of that so that we can do more deep work, kind of like what we talked about with Cal Newport. And finally, an arbitrary but insightful question 
As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Uh, certainly, I think, in my opinion, in my field, is ask why. Always be asking why. And after you've answered why, ask why again. I think, especially nowadays, where it's hard to find the source of information, uh, it's really important to dig for it. And, and why is one of the best questions we can ask. Doug, thank you for joining the podcast today. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so I uh, have kind of a startup blog. It's not complete, but uh, the website is sarasotafit.com. That's sarasotafit.com. And uh, the blog there, I I blog a lot about uh, all sorts of topics, mostly physical topics. And then also, I've been writing a little bit on Medium since the birth of my, my daughter. Medium, you can find me at Doug Hershberger. And I'll continue to write. I have a lot of topics that I have pending for, for that uh, aspect of the Internet. Uh, social media, you can find me, search up my company name, Hershberger Health and Performance, uh, or my, my name as well. Or you can shoot me an email at Doug at SarasotaFit.com, and we'll connect. Doug, it's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks, Josh. I appreciate you having me, and uh, blessings to you as you continue this podcast. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share your own thoughts on what you heard today or leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's show could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. <laughs>